Welcome to the Session 7 Podcast. I'm Joe. And I'm Matt. And we're here today to talk about Tyranny of Dragons from the point of view of the player. I know we covered a lot with the last episode, but we figured it would be good to do another episode on this book. We also will be talking about Hasbro's open game license backpedal and their 1,000 employee layoff, as well as the Mighty Nine coming to Amazon Prime. Spoiler warnings for Tyranny of Dragons, Legend of Vox Machina, Chainsaw Man, as well as Persona 4 and 5, Dead Space Remake, and God of War Ragnarok. Now, Matt, you did a great job DMing this campaign. Thank you. I just want to say that. I know that it was your first campaign that you actually sat down and DM'd from start to finish. I've been DMing for probably eight years at this point, and I, I don't think I've ever gotten to an end of a campaign. Plans have always fallen through, or the party just gets bored and things need to change. The last time I was the DM for the group, I had some work stuff going on, and I needed to stop DMing. So for me, it's always been up in the air. I didn't know what to expect, not only going into a campaign with a new DM who was a little inexperienced, but also to have to make a character that I was supposed to care about for 20 or in our case, 18 levels. Well, your case, 18 levels. Yeah. But I want to say that I'm actually, first of all, I'm impressed with the way that you DM'd. And I really mean that. I've been in groups where, and it's not necessarily from our group, but I have been in groups where the DM wasn't the best or didn't let me play around as much as I got to play around in this book. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here to talk about my experience with this campaign. So, like I said before, this is the first campaign that our group completed. I think overall everybody had fun. I had a couple favorite moments, but I think I'm going to highlight two of them specifically. My favorite early game moment was actually from session one when we were in Green Nest and the blue chromatic dragon came and attacked. If you remember, my blue chromatic dragonborn thought he was hot stuff and he got up on the rampart of the wall and tried to talk to the blue chromatic dragon. <laughs> I remember. Yeah, I remember. Do you remember how that went? Yeah, so you ran up onto the rampart and you looked over the rampart and uh, as soon as you, you I can't remember what you said exactly but I'm pretty sure you said something along the lines of like are you my dad or something like that yeah and um, Lenithan the dragon just instantly shot a bolt of lightning out of his mouth into all the innocent civilians <laughs> of Green Nest yeah which is what the book deemed so I was just kind of following the guidelines there but he he had what killed I can't remember if I said 10 or 15 people but he killed people because you just went up on the rampart and were like are you my dad <laughs> so yeah I do remember that that was that was you know, literally our first session you guys had just met so sorry to put you on the spot like that no it's all right on the, in the first session but I knew how I wanted my character to act and in my defense, he was supposed to be a little bit quirky. And I mean, I, I think everybody who makes characters all think that their character is quirky. But I, I guess what I'll, I'll kind of tell is my character's made-up backstory that I had. And just the just the, the cliff notes. He is a dragonborn. And for those of you who don't know what a dragonborn is, it is a dragon humanoid. That's the size of a humanoid. It can be anywhere between five to seven feet tall. They just have scales and they have a snout like a dragon. And sometimes they have a tail, but they're otherwise, they're standing on two legs, you know, walking around like a human would. So that's what my character was. Now, a, I had an original plan to also be a sorcerer, but I thought it would be cool to use one of the newer subclasses for barbarian, which is the wild magic barbarian. And I kind of blended those two ideas together because dragon dragonborns are supposed to 
like in the lore have this innate spellcasting ability and if you were to also read the background for the sorcerer it mentions that sorcerers are born with this ability to cast spells and even one of the subclasses for the sorcerer if i recall is like a draconic bloodline sorcerer yeah yeah i'm pretty sure you can fly with that too yeah so to me it makes sense a dragonborn with a draconic bloodline as their background for sorcerers but my guy suffered head trauma when he was a child we, we like to joke that my dad dropped me on my head but there was you know a little bit more seriousness behind that one that actually came up and because of that my character this is all made up my character lost his ability to cast magic at will he still had the magic inside of him but he couldn't control it so he grew up not being able to cast magic and just getting angry and breaking stuff so he became this barbarian and the wild magic barbarian allows you to whenever you rage which is a feature of the barbarian it allowed you to roll on a wild magic table which then cool magical effects would happen and that kind of plays into the whole idea that i had where i can't control my magic you know so he was hit on his head as a kid and his intelligence is only eight or nine and he's only ever been able to solve problems by running full force into it now i will say Again, in my defense, I've never had that cause an issue for the party. If the party said that they wanted to be stealthy or didn't want to open a door, I never was like, well, I'm dumb. I'm going to smack it. I'm going to stay back just because, you know, my character understood enough to not do those things. Not just be totally rude and be like, it's a door. Kick it open. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I felt a good introduction to my character, to you and to the party, would be to go and try to talk to the big blue dragon. <laughs> Which did not work out in any way, shape, or form. I was actually thinking of ways to make that work. I just, it, it was really hard to make it work because I knew what I wanted to do after you finished the first book with Lenithin, which we did come back around to, which was all some of the um, homebrew dragon fighting that I put in, which you did eventually go back and slay him and uh, harvest his, his corpse for materials and, you know, get a a head made like a, a head plaque like you like you hunted him and stuff so that's why i kind of really didn't do anything with that i thought the idea was good and i was like oh dude that fits so good you can pretend he's your dad and he's really not and i'm like so good as it is i'm gonna have to just you know have him attack the civilians at green nest so but no i thought that was funny i i enjoyed that little tidbit that you you did there it was funny caught me off guard to be 100 percent honest with you i had no idea how to respond to that yeah one of the things that I liked about the way this campaign was run, um, a lot of the times players like to make improvised decisions based on what they're given because they don't know what's planned. And that's kind of contrary to the DM who has the entire plan in front of them. So a good DM, in my opinion, would also be able to improvise just as much as the player does, like along with the player. Mm -hmm. So I didn't struggle with anything that I wanted to do when I was playing. You know, a later game moment that I'm a fan of or that I recall that I really liked which for some reason also reflected how goofy my character was was at the party at that dude's like manor uh, that was um, the warlocks background stuff right yeah so Alistair Croson made him up too he was a part of her backstory yeah he was like a bardish character kinda I did not know that you made him up mm -hmm. completely made up 100% but he was in Baldur's Gate and we had our warlock character in, our, in the party who's also your fiance she for some reason anytime she went in Baldur's gate her skin would like feel like it was catching on fire do yeah. you want to kind of go into that whole story <clears throat> yeah so we made 
she made her character a tiefling, and I can't remember the subclass specifically, but it let her obtain the abilities of a like a god or like a, a devil in this case, and she chose Fierna as her her like matron. Also, as it turns out to be with her backstory, Fierna was also her mother. Lots of parents in these backstories. Yeah, so the backstory that we kind of put together was Fierna, you know, one of the two rulers, I think, of the seventh hell of the nine hells. She was presented with a situation where this human man somehow got an ability to travel to the nine hells. And the hell that he appeared in was hers. He had no idea how he got there. And he he eventually traversed upon this kind of palace structure. And he approached Firna and made a deal with her for his escape. The deal was for some kind of knowledge on her end that she needed. And he wanted out of the hells because he couldn't get out. So she granted him his wish and allowed him to leave the hells as long as he would return to give her the information that she needed. We made Alistair betray Fierna, which is what created this issue. So she made her character a good-based character. Somebody that wants to help people. She doesn't want to be like her mother. She wants to always see the good in people. And Fierna came to her, told her. Eventually, after getting to Baldur's Gate, realizing what was going on, her skin would just get warm. Wouldn't actually ignite on fire. She would just get warm. Almost like she was burning to death from the inside out. What happened was eventually Fierna came to her when Alistair approached in that parade. That big parade that I kind of set up. He came in and then Fierna told her, hey, kill him. He betrayed me and he needs to die. The important tidbit of information that I did leave out even in here is because I wanted the dramatic effect. Before he left the Nine Hells, he was with Fierna. And they created a child. And Alistair was our warlock's father. Ah, okay. So that's how that whole backstory originated. Yeah, so we had to deal with this guy. And he was throwing a party because he was a noble. For some reason, I decided my character was going to get extremely wasted at this party. Now, there's seven of us there. And I had just decided to do some antics. I had somebody cast the invisibility spell on me. I messed with the dude's drink. I had fun acting like I was drunk. And I I know a lot of times that there are DMs that would stop that from happening because they want to make it so their big scene that's about to come up is going to play right or they just want to railroad the party. I hate railroading. Never railroad your party. Let them do what they want. That's exactly right. And I got to do that. I got to be goofy. And I did kind of feel a little bit bad after only because I know that this is this person's backstory. I don't know why I decided I wanted to be drunk at the party, like really drunk, but I had fun doing it. And I think everybody else was kind of laughing along because I remember that the monk who was an entertainer, he got on stage and he was performing. He got a little, you know, he had a little bit of fun with that because I remember he say he sang a song about the guy and it was like an offensive song, but Playing the campaign, you have to have room for that kind of stuff. Any campaign. I guess this is less about me enjoying the campaign and more about me saying that I had a good DM for the campaign. But from the book material, there was a lot of things that we did. You know, the floating castle, which was made of ice. There was that whole, that that was all part of the book, right? 
Yep, Skyreach Castle. We, as a party, for some reason, only did half that castle, and I saw a golden sphere in the wall of ice and decided to carve it out with the party's um, druid. Uh, Yeah, because he ended up enlarging and reducing it so that way you could carry it because it was a massive ball of gold that was well over 500 pounds. And then you later melted down into gold for yourselves later, which I, I mean, I allowed. I mean, I don't care. You guys made and thought of a creative way to kind of steal something that I didn't think was possible. Yeah. But, uh, but I got that, surprised because that, they found a way. Sorry. That Yeah. That came out of the book. I mean, sort of. It, it was essentially the same thing as if I was like, no, I don't want to go through that door. I want to go to this wall and just break the wall apart until I come to the next room. It was like almost like that. And then the party also, we for some reason decided that we wanted to fly away on the backs of, on the back of Quetzalcoatl's, right? Because Chris turned into a Quetzalcoatl. Yeah, yeah. The druid turned into a Quetzalcoatl for the escape. And then the dragon that was in the castle was in the zone that we skipped, and so the dragon chased us as we were flying away on Quetzalcoatl's, which was it's antics. It's not a part of the book, but you didn't railroad us. And actually, um, Glazel, the dragon that chased you out of the castle, um, after he fought you guys in aerial combat, I had him fly over to El Terrell and attack the city, which left like this huge ice iceberg-like monument that took them in, like in-game weeks to to clear because it was like magical ice, and uh, that was all made up. That was all homebrew. I had to go with the flow of the game. So I had to make that all up. That was completely random when you guys decided to skip on uh, the rest of the dungeon because there was like a giant and everything in that dungeon that you were supposed to fight or make friends with and you guys dipped and I'm like, what am I going to do? I got to think of something quick. So right on the spot, that's what I came up with. But you were using the context that the book gave you to make the decision. And that's just the same as before. The context that the players are given is how we make our decisions and everything that we decide is basically improv so it's good that a dm helps with improv i have this note having a dm that would let me play outside of the sandbox was extremely rewarding and satisfying as a player and i hope that it was a rewarding experience for you as well i know that we talked about a lot of your original stuff but one of my favorite npcs was Stu. Stu, ah yeah Stu was all made up and it was only he was only made up because the druid chris liked to cook Jack Jack. Jack Jack, yes. He played a lizard folk druid. Yep. Um, albino lizard folk druid. The albino part's important because it did come up in other role playing aspects throughout the campaign. And um, he liked to cook. And in Green Nest, I can't remember, there was a guy, I couldn't think of his name. It was 100% Green Nest. I couldn't think of his name. He interacted with a guard who was cooking over like a pit. I was having trouble just improving a name. So that's where Stu got created, was that guy's name was Stu. Which eventually turned into a whole chain restaurant of <laughs> stews, all run by cousins of that original guy, Stu, from Green Nest, also named Stu. And they own chain restaurants called Stew's Soups and Stews. And each Soups and Stews restaurant had a different flavor. One was spicy, one was made with golden flakes, kind of like the uh, Goldschlager vodka. That's where I got that idea from, was that vodka. One was like sweets. Too. It was all sweet stuff in with like stews. So it was really just kind of a whole, you know, hey guys. Yeah, I was going to ask you to do the voice. kind of idea. Do the so. voice again. Do the voice. Hi, I'm Stu. 
<laughs> that's exactly. See, that's just it's it's all part of the fun, right? Yeah. The original characters and gives us a reason to explore some of the towns that we were in. I do remember the stews all had like a delayed reaction to everything. So when you ask for something, he'd go, here you go. And then five seconds later, not even a little longer than five seconds, like a minute or two, he'd pull your bowl of stew out and hand you your bowl of stew. And you guys are just standing there looking at him in awe. Like what happened? It's like, Oh no, it just took him a second, like a really long second. Another moment that I recall, I think it was the first time that you made my character feel awesome for me was I had a custom greatsword made. My guy turned into a little bit of a snob, even though he was foolish. He liked to convince himself that he liked fine dining or like robes or wine, but he would still do some pretty dumb stuff. Like he would eat a loaf of bread with a wooden spoon. But I had this greatsword, which was totally in my character's wheelhouse because it's just this weapon that you use to mindlessly destroy things with. But it also, it had gold like trimming and there was an NPC that you decided to come up with who first asked about my greatsword, asked if I would be willing to sell it and then tried to steal my greatsword because my character is chaotic neutral. My character killed that thief and I killed him in what I thought was the coolest way possible. I, I think at level four picked up magic initiate and I took absorb elements so I could lightning breath into my hand, which... I would take the damage, but I would have this lightning in the palm of my hand and then I would get to attack with it, which would be cool at like an early level, level four. And the very first time I did that was to this guy and I destroyed him. And I think the way you described the aftermath of that one-on-one battle was he like turned to stone or something or he got calcified in some way. Yeah, so I kind of did it like I was thinking of like when um, when like a tree gets struck by lightning, like you see all the the ripples and I don't want to say ripples exactly, but like the oh, I know the treeing, like the webbing almost yeah. as it goes through the tree. So I kind of did it like that. When you hit him with that and you killed him, that instead of him just, you know, falling over dead with like a hole in his chest, he got hit by that lightning. And what it did is it webbed out from the wound and it kind of charred him and like melted him into the ground and almost, like you said, calcified him and turned him to stone almost in the position in which he was standing. And that's when you just took the sword out of his hand, even though you had already totally just brutally destroyed this guy, which all deserved. It was a nice sword, you know, (laughs) but I wasn't expecting that. And I was like, oh, dude, this guy's got to die in a cool way. (laughs) He's got to. Yeah, you let that be a character-defining moment, which was great. I came across Hazaron after a boss fight that the party had. Hazaron is a great magic weapon. jet black greatsword that had a sentience uh didn't the sentience didn't really come into play other than me teasing the dm every once in a while but if i was attuned to the weapon it gave me an additional 2d6 necrotic damage and it was a plus three weapon it also had some spells i did not use because i only cared about smashing things with it and it removed the ability for things to heal the coolest part is you know you let me keep it and the party didn't seem to mind that i had it Mm -hmm. but it was like a really very powerful weapon. Well, probably among the top three powerful weapons out of the entire group. Definitely top three. Top three. Um, it is a legendary magic weapon. I really enjoyed giving this magic item out because it actually hindered me a lot in encounter wise because no one was like none of the basic creatures that I used 
were able to beat the con save, so they could never heal. The mages and stuff could not get past it. Like, the veterans could not get past it. For some reason, I just rolled crappily when it came to that con save, but everything else I rolled, like, really good on. Hazaron does do spells. It has four charges, and you can do one charge for detect magic, one charge for detect evil and good, two charges for detect thoughts, and each night at midnight, it regained 1d4 expended charges, which was something you never did use, which I can understand why. I never really questioned it. There was no reason for me to cast detect thoughts. I never really felt a reason to cast detect evil or good because my character was chaotic neutral. He didn't really have a morality alignment. And the last one, which was detect magic, the um, wild magic barbarian gave me a feature where I could basically for six seconds or an, a, you know, a turn basically detect magic on a, on, a, on a lower level. But like, that's, that's what I would use if I needed to do that. That was the uh, magical awareness <laughs> yeah, ability, magical I believe. Awareness. Yep. That's correct. But it was great. I mean, I had fun and I think that if anybody runs the campaign, if anybody's trying to decide between campaigns, the Tyranny of Dragons is definitely a very full campaign from start to finish. The only one thing I wish that happened was that we went to level 20. I know the book only takes you to level 15, but I just wasn't ready to say goodbye to Spike. You know, I don't know. And maybe that's telling. That's telling because I, I was having so much fun. Any kind of closing thoughts on the Tyranny of Dragons? Well, I have a couple questions for you. I thought of um, a few, which you pretty much answered most of my questions here with the, you know, your favorite parts, favorite magic weapon. I just wanted to pick your brain and see um, if there was any encounters or anything that you thought were maybe a little unbalanced or just, you know, not fun. If you had any kind of questions, concerns there with that area there with the, the combat. Just specifically combat or anything? Well, mostly with like, um, mostly with combat. Because I know, like, like we discussed in the previous episode, I had a lot of issues with balancing encounters, mostly on the combat standpoint. So I, I guess mostly with, yeah, with the combat. There may have been moments of boredom because we had such a large party, but whenever it was my turn to speak or attack, I had a good time. I mean, even the most experienced DM would have a hard time with seven people who aren't a bunch of voice actors on Critical Role, right? Because they have seven people. Yeah. But they're all professionally trained. They all know that they all want to role play super deep. They all know that it's a big production thing. So, like, just me and a bunch of my friends, There's some sometimes during combat, I'm just waiting my turn, and it may take my me to get eight minutes, but that is not on you, or it's not on the book. It's just... It's just on party size at that point. It's because the party's so big. Yeah. I love all the people in our party. Some Sometimes I just wish we had a party for. Yeah. But I, I don't want anyone in our group to leave. Oh, no, I feel you. I uh, feel you the same way. Because I have um, fun with every single one of them in different yeah. ways. It was hard for me sometimes to keep up with that. You know, I, that's another issue like we discussed previously that I had to with, with the party size, especially in a campaign that was designed for a party of four, So, which most, most campaigns are designed that way. So, um, And I guess uh, my final question would be, you know, just some for feedback for me for future, since this was my first time DMing. Um, if there's anything that you saw that I did that you didn't like, or that you did like, or that I could improve on, um, something from, you know, making you do more ability checks, or anything to that nature, just to kind of move the campaign along a little bit, or intrigue your curiosities as uh, player characters in any way. I don't really have very many critiques. I almost say that I don't have any critiques, but I, there are a couple things. 
and then there's just pieces of advice I might want to give you just because I I have more experience as a DM. Yeah. First of all, for your first real campaign, I've already said this, you impressed the hell out of me. I was not expecting it to go as well as it did. You did a great job. There was nothing that I was frustrated with that you decided. And sometimes I I might have mouthed to you like, make them make a persuasion check or something yeah. like that. You might need to decide for yourself when somebody is trying to convince an NPC of something that doesn't go along with what the NPC's thoughts are, that that's the time to do a persuasion check. And it's, it doesn't have to be every single time because, you know, sometimes there are story beats that you just have to hit. But if it's just like the shopkeeper that you just made up two minutes ago, maybe just consider throwing some more ability checks in there. The other thing is you want to try to keep some of the magic alive. I know that I still struggle with this bit too as an experienced DM but you really shouldn't show them what's behind the Dungeon Master screen. Unless you have a question, of course, and you come to me or Chris or Tyler. I know it's hard, but like, try not to tell the table that, oh, he has this ability, or oh, Tiamat does that. Yeah. You did a great job with improvising, making stuff up, and understanding that if somebody wanted something, they could get it. You gave me the Tome of Strength, which made it so my strength ability score went up by two. Oh, yeah. And then my maximum could reach 24. I felt... You, you know that feeling whenever you put a cheat code in, in a video game? And <laughs> like, like GTA, and L1, R1, R2, L1, R2, left, down, right, up, left, down, right, up. <laughs> That's yeah. the San Andreas treat, by the way. Get your basic weapons. <laughs> the feeling that you get, it's like, oh, cool. I have this thing now. But then after a couple of minutes or hours of playing, it sets in that you didn't earn the thing, and then it just starts to feel cheap a little mm-hmm. bit sometimes i felt that way specifically with the book although i i really did like that i got that strength yeah um i still felt a little cheap with the extra level that i got again happy about it i mean i loved i want to be better than everybody because that's what spike is but i felt a little cheap and it's my fault because i'm the one who pursued it and you let me and then for the blue dragon mask which didn't come into play at all for me yeah but i have a feeling that getting that blue dragon mask with the additional electricity absorption or whatever and the legendary saving throw what is it legendary the legendary resistance the mask had yeah. yeah if that would have come up i probably would have felt a little bit cheap but then at the same time we were by the time we were like level 15 or you know whatever maybe maybe we deserve that kind of stuff yeah. so i might even say scratch the last thing i just said just because i've never experienced a group of people past level eight so when we get to level 12 13 14 and we get into these more powerful items maybe it just feels cheaper for me combat you did a great job with combat and this is another thing i struggle with you want to try to make it a little bit more visceral you want to try to give the a lot of visual details whenever you're trying to describe yeah. something i am terrible with describing stuff that is my utter weakness i tried so hard to describe things and then sometimes when we did like not everybody's at fault for this but sometimes when we did like everybody was having like their own side conversation. Oh yeah. So and then I just stood there quiet and waited. That's my last bit of info is try to develop a skill where you're not pissing anybody off, but you're able to reel the table in. Like, uh, Hey, we're playing D and D not whatever you're talking about. <laughs> so recently Hasbro has backpedaled what they said on their open game license. They did. Um, so they did that survey thing. Yeah. They had people kind of give their feedback on 
the new test that they were coming out with about the whole licensing and things like that. And I do have um, a link up in front of me, which we'll share the link on our social medias with the podcast when we get everything posted. And they had 15,000 people fill out the survey. Based off those 15,000 people, 88% of them did not want them to publish any new content under the new OGL 1.2. 90% of the people that filled out of the 15,000 people that did the survey would have to change some aspect of their business to accommodate it because they would have to edit their things so that way it would work without violating that rule. 89% of people were just upset with the fact that they were changing it, which out of 15,000 people, 89% is a lot. 86 were just dissatisfied with the draft policy, the VVT, VTT policy. Essentially what we're getting here is is nobody liked it. Yeah. Not a single person. And that was only 15,000 people that filled it out. So they took that all back. They are not doing that any longer. And I'm glad because now none of this stuff that I just read to you means anything because they're using that to not do it. Just in case anybody tunes out whenever someone talks numbers (laughs) at the end of the day, it doesn't mean anything. So it's good. Well, in this case, they mean something, I guess, because they did, you know, end up leading to Wizards of the Coast and all that kind of taking back that, you know, we're going to take the licensing away. Now they're not going to do it because they realize that a lot of people are not going to be happy. I'm kind of glad that they came to that conclusion. It makes me happy as a big D&D fan and Wizards fan. So, Speaking of Hasbro, recently they fired 1,000 employees. Hasbro's not doing too hot right now. <laughs> no, man. I feel like they're on the hot seat and they keep putting themselves back on the hot seat, you know, as they try to take a step off. All of these decisions that Hasbro's making, it's all about the share price and shareholders. The reason why that they decided to cut 1,000 employees, they say is to save up to 300 million annually by 2025. If you're a Dungeons and Dragons player, or if you're a Magic the Gathering player, or if you're a content creator, I don't care how much Hasbro makes. You know who cares? Shareholders. Hasbro. (laughs) Hasbro. That's, by the way, 1,000 is 15% of their global full-time workforce. 15% of their company and all of these people just Mm -hmm. lost their jobs because Hasbro cares about their bottom line so much. And it's not that Hasbro's in the red. It's just that their third quarter in 2022 had a 15% decline in revenue. Decline in revenue, which is positive revenue. This is their answer. That's not that's not a good answer in my opinion, no. but I mean, I'm not, I'm not Hasbro. Chief Operating Officer uh, Eric Nyman or Neiman, sorry if I mispronounced his name, he's departing the company as well. Is it because of the the layoffs as well, or is he departing for another reason? It might be because of the direction that the Hasbro is going. It might be because they are so worried about the shareholders, and maybe they want to put someone in his position to steer the company better. It could be anything. They didn't really say. They just said that he is stepping down. Maybe they're using that as kind of a red herring to appease some people who think, oh, Hasbro is doing bad, but also appease a lot of the player base and users of their product because they could turn and say, look, that guy's he's ahead and we cut him off. So I just thought it was interesting that they even felt the need to mention that. They have this statement from the chief executive, Chris Cox. Hasbro is going to focus on fewer, bigger brands, gaming digital, and rapidly growing direct-to-consumer and licensing business. So I guess they're trying to change directions, but we could always we could already tell that with all of these decisions that they're making, all these poor decisions, because we know how Magic 30 went, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they mentioned that Wizards of the Coast posted a strong fourth quarter, so that's why they're so worried about D&D Magic the Gathering. 
things like that and why they feel they need to fix something that isn't broken which is a bad call my point in my opinion Your stock price fell about seven percent after the layoffs announcement shares are down 29 percent the last 12 months and they make me feel sad it sucks because two of our favorite things magic and dungeons and dragons are owned by these people yeah and it, it sucks because we we don't want to we don't want to see it go into a bad direction you know we we play D weekly you yeah. know we can play magic sometimes weekly or sometimes we take a little break in between playing magic but we just don't want to see it go in a bad bad spot you know yeah. we think that they're in a good spot you know the new uh, new phyrexia set that's coming out you know they have good good ideas behind that and everything's looking good from the game standpoint until you get on like more of the business ends of the situations and it just seems to be we want to make the money on the licensing now so we're taking it from you speaking of magic the gathering another thing that i don't really like I think this has to do with Hasbro, is this new Phyrexia, or I'm sorry, not new Phyrexia, Phyrexia All Will Be One completed edition box that originally MSRP'd for 80 bucks, and now it's like 150 because of scalpers. Dude, the set's not even out yet, and that completed box is sold out everywhere. Yeah. And it went from um, $80 initially, and now it's um, $150. It's like $149 and some change. It's insane. It's part of this. I don't know. I, I just wish that Magic was about the players. And it would be cool to see lots <laughs> of those boxes on the shelves. I just recently rejoined Magic after like a three-year hiatus. And I come back to draft packs, collector's packs, and set packs. Like, I want to go back to when it was just one boost. Like the set boosters, pretty much, which is pretty much, which is what we used to buy was the set boosters that had like the one mythic rare, the legendary in it, if you're lucky, and just all the other common and uncommon cards kind of just there. Yeah. I could always go and just buy the set boosters, but knowing that the collector editions out there and with all the alternate arts and stuff. Yeah. That are also twice the price, and yeah. which I'm fine with paying twice the price for collector's cards. I'm a card collector when it comes to Magic. I like to own the cards. For example, my fiance was making an Eldrazi deck, and guess who pulled both of? Um, I pulled the Olamog and the Emrakul. Emrakul. I got both versions of Emrakul. I got the banned one and the non-banned one, and I got the Ulamog she needed for her Eldrazi deck, which is like an eighty-dollar card, right? I believe so. And the band um, Emrakul was also you know, like a $50 card. Wait, she's putting a band card in her commander deck? No, she's not. She wanted Why does the, she care about it? Because there's two Emrakuls. One's banned, one's not. Okay. So I got two of the cards she needed, and I refused to give them to her because I wanted the cards. You're a collector. I am a collector. I enjoy the cards. I also got Renin 6. Um, that was all from Double Masters. I spent a lot of money on the Double Masters. Hey, man, if you ever want to go into a box of that, let me know. Ooh, definitely thinking about it. <laughs> this episode will drop on the night of the Phyrexia All Will Be One pre-release event. So if anyone's listening, going to that, let us know on our socials. We'll talk to you about what we pulled, and you can tell us about what you pulled and Go Maybe ahead. even post some pictures on social media. Oh, yeah. We're, we'll probably post something. Yeah. You got some cards that you want to talk about. I did, yeah. So the first card I'm going to talk about is Solfim Mayhem Dominus. It's 
two red and two to play. It is a legendary creature, Phyrexian Horror. Um, I am looking at its alternate art here. I'll show you, Joe, so you can take a good glimpse at it. That's the oil slick that comes out of those packs that we were just talking about. Yes, it is super nice. If a source you control would deal non-combat damage to an opponent or a permanent an opponent controls, deals double that damage to that player or permanent instead. You can pay one and two to discard two cards, put an indestructible counter on Sulfim, Mayhem Dominus. It's nuts. It's a decent card. The other card I am looking at that I'm hoping I somehow end up with Friday evening is Elshnorn, Mother of Machines. Yeah, everyone's hoping for that card. I know, dude. She's so good. That's the basic. It's the alternate. Yep. Um, so I want the alternate art, obviously. There's several alternate arts. There's the oil, really oil slick one from the collectors, which you can only get out of the collectors. And then you can get this one and the regular one in the um, regular sets. Can't you also get the Phyrexian text ones? Oh, I forgot all about those. I think you can, yeah. This card is disgusting. It's pricey. It's a white and four. But Vigilance, permanent entering the battlefield causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control. You get to trigger that ability an additional time which is phenomenal. But what makes this card disgusting for anybody that it's opposing is that permanents entering the battlefield don't cause abilities or permanents your opponent's control to trigger, which sucks. Yes, it does. <laughs> which means they don't do anything and you obliterate them completely. Are you thinking about putting that in a commander deck at all or making it a commander? I am thinking about doing a lot of things with it. A commander deck is one of them. I definitely do want to try to find a way to make a commander around her. I think that it would be very nasty. It is one of the ideas that I was, you know, playing around with for sure. You know what card I want? I want to get my hands on now is Atraxa. Attra uh, the yep. older Atraxa, not the new one, the old one. Yeah. Because of the whole proliferate so her price actually about doubled doubled with this new set coming out because it's making Proliferate so much more valuable. The OG Atraxa's price went up tremendously. Um, when my fiancé bought her for her Proliferate deck, she has more of a Super Friends Proliferate deck with Atraxa. It was, I, I want to say, around $30, like, I think. Um, it might have been less than that. Don't quote me on that price. It is probably wrong. How but about we just look it up real quick? Yeah, let's let's look it up. But right now, she's worth about 60 bucks. Atraxa is a really good card. Any proliferate deck you want to throw her in, she does the job for you and then some. And they're also doing a reprint of her as well for this, which that card looks cool, but, uh, you know, Elshnorn's what I really want. Here she is. Market price is at... Market price is approximately at... No, right here. This is right here. This is what we want to see. So almost 50 bucks. Yep, 50 bucks. And before it was at like 31. That was three months ago. Yep. Thir see. About $30 is what uh, my 30. fiance paid for. Yep. About $30. And she got a pretty decent condition card. It was almost never used. She She stole it. Stole it? Stole, stole it because now it's worth $80. <laughs> she stole it from someone? She no, she didn't steal it. No, no. She she got it from TCG. Oh, she actually bought it off of that website? Mm-hmm. Yep, that's where she buys most of her cards. Um, she is, um, thanks to the command zone, is looking. she does look at the Card Kingdom now every now and then. But This is going to be an exciting set, I think. I'm lo really looking forward to it. New Phyrexia 
or I guess Scars Over Mirrodin is the very first set that I started playing in. We played, me and my father, because I was probably about 14 when he showed it to me. We played probably through Avacyn Restored into the first round of Innistrad, and then we stopped, and then I showed you and your brother and Casey and a couple other people, and we got back into it, I think, right at Cons of Tarkir. Uh, Fate Reforged, actually. Well, Fate Reforged was the same block. Yeah. So That was back when they were still doing threes. We went to the Fate Reforged pre-release, I don't think I did. No, I went to I went to the um, I went Dra- to the dragons of here with you. Yeah. Okay, maybe it was. Your that was a good time. Then. But yeah, okay, so it was basically Fate Reforged, which is a great set, by the way. Yeah, that's why I pulled the three Ugans. Remember, yeah, talked did. about that last well, week. They also have the Shocklands that come out of them, too. Which yeah, is I didn't get any. I didn't get that lucky. Just the three Ugans. Well, three Ugans <laughs> is still pretty good. But. Matt, I want to know what we're currently watching or playing. You want me to go first? Uh, yeah, go ahead. I just played and beat the Dead Space remake. Oh, big Dead Space fan. I love Dead Space. It's great. And I'm actually considering going through it a second time and then a third time. The second time because I want to get the achievement for only using the plasma cutter, which is like the starting handgun, basically. That's all I use. I never, I never use anything else. I just upgrade the crap out of it. And on New Game Plus, apparently they added an additional secret ending you just have to go through new game plus collect all of these shards that are not in the first round that you play through and after you collect all these shards and you put them in a specific location which i won't really reveal to you the ending will be different okay that's weird yeah that's definitely new because i've played the original dead space on the 360 probably about five or six times no it's definitely i love dead space and i used two guns the entire time uh mostly the plasma cutter and i use the line cutter and I dismember as I please. Um, I thoroughly enjoy Dead Space. Um, I do know they did change some things, um, which is kind of what put me off from purchasing it right away. But I'm glad to hear that it's still good. It's great, man. You should check it out and pick it up. I am probably going to go back to Persona 4 Golden on the Switch just because I was really having a lot of fun with it. And it's easy to you know turn on and off with the Switch because you just grab and go, right? And then after that, I'm considering God of War or Persona 5. I also just started watching Chainsaw Man. Oh, it's so good. I sat and I watched the first episode last night, and then I ended the night on episode 9. So <laughs> I love it. That's how, that's how a good anime always gets you, though. Yeah, and it has great music. Every single outro is different, which is cool. I've even put some of the songs on the outros on my Spotify. And Alec, my friend in California, shout out Alec, convinced me to give Attack on Titan a second try after I finish this. So I'm probably going to finish Chainsaw Man tonight, start Attack on Titan, and um, I think I'm just going to start that one from the beginning. Maybe I convinced Casey to watch it with me. Yeah. Attack on Titan's good. That's a big fan of my fiance's as well. Um, I am currently watching the episodes as they release, um, as they come out in segments of The Legends of Vox Machina. On Amazon Prime Video, I am a big Critical Role fan. Um, if it wasn't for Joey here and the cast of Critical Role, I would not have gotten into D&D as much as I have been. I just finished the next set of three episodes, and I don't want to spoil too much for anybody listening, but they're so good. They're so good. I love it. I love it, I love it, I love it. And I love how it is almost word for word as when they played and, you know, posted their videos live or on YouTube. I know, I do notice a couple of things that aren't from when they actually played just because they had to make it work. 
but it's so good. I love it. If you have Amazon Prime Video and you like Dungeons and Dragons, I highly recommend you watch. Um, I did also see a clip on Twitter that Critical Role themselves shared, which was just a short little clip of them zooming in on a script for what seems to be the Mighty Nine as they may be coming to Amazon Prime Video, which is the assumption I'm going to get from this clip it. Actually, I thought Matt Mercer posted one with the Mighty Nine logo and then his voice saying Mighty Nine is coming to Amazon Prime. I'm pretty sure that's what that was. I think we're talking about the same video. I, I don't think that there's any assumptions <laughs> that need to be made. I'm just, I'm just, I'm, hey, I mean, whatever Critical Role wants to do, I don't care. I'll watch about anything. I did have a lot of trouble watching them with the second season on YouTube just because it was slow for me. It's just the way my mind works. But it will be nice to actually be able to watch this on Prime Video if when it if and when it does arrive. So that's what I'm currently doing. I'm finishing the final palace on Persona 5 of the palace of, don't want to butcher this, Masayoshi Shido. It's like the big ship. Kind of looks like a big the big uh, diet building. I'm finishing that palace. I'm about maybe a fourth of the way through it so far. I'm enjoying it. I'll probably go back to either God of War Ragnarok because, you know, I have this thing about going around and just crushing everything in that <laughs> game just because. Yeah. Um, I've literally completed every side quest that I've found, um, which was a lot. Like, I literally spend hours doing side quests. Or I'm just going to start high on life. I think I'm kind of ready to just jump into something crazy and zanny. If I can give my opinion on high of life, high on life, the first, like, hour is entertaining but at least for me i found it got really repetitive unfortunately uh, i mean you might you might think it differently if it gets repetitive i'm just gonna stop playing it i'm gonna be honest i i have to have something that pulls my attention if it doesn't pull my attention i just i can't i can't you can only take so much of that kind of rick and morty humor for so long man in my opinion i mean i might go back to it i just might need to do some you know segment sub segmented playing of that game but yeah. there's so many other games i can play yeah. including god of war by the yeah. way good choice i think i'm definitely going to jump back to ragnarok that'll be the next game i finish most likely well i think that we had a pretty productive episode thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of session seven don't forget to follow us at the session seven podcast on facebook instagram and now twitter as we did get our twitter up all links will be provided in um, our post and on our pages don't forget to share this with your friends and family and your grandma okay <laughs> and i love you